I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Resource Real Talk About Real Estate. I'm Gabe Pruitt. And I'm Jay Pitts. Back for another episode. If you remember from our previous episode, we were discussing some of the most common objections that real estate folk will uh, come into contact with throughout their business. We focused mostly, if I remember correctly, on commission disputes, especially when you're trying to win listings as a seller's agent. Uh, But today we wanted to Revisit the topic, but from a different uh, angle, something that we've dealt with a lot in our own company's business of late and something that got a lot of airtime at a recent company meeting uh, was this idea of how to compete effectively against discount brokers when you're trying to win a listing. So I wanted to talk about that. In our market, it's something that's significant. Maybe in your market, it's something that you run into a lot too. But we want to talk about some of the most common objections that you'll face when you're competing with people who offer discounted and... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Limited service. Limited limited services at a discount. There you go. Perfect. You nailed it. <laughs> I was getting there. It was going to take me just a second. But. I, I, I can agree with you. Hey, I think you're just a little flustered. We, we had a little double, a double intro. Oh, yeah. This is the third time that we've tried two, to record. Two, two takes. <laughs> two yeah. takes. It wasn't three. It was two. It was two. Okay. It was two. Gabe is usually money on the intro. I managed to flub it pretty, he, he flubbed, pretty excellently he the first time. He flubbed it a little bit today. But you know what? That's okay. Because we ask that you judge us on our mistakes, not our wins, because we have so few. There we go. And what is that a quote from? Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. I think it's uh, actually. I think I just flubbed that. Actually, <laughs> we ask. We don't. Ask, we ask that you not judge us on our wins. We ask that you judge us on our losses because we have so few. There you go. Yeah. That sounds good. So would like you that. like ten thousand shares? No, penny stock, that kind of thing. Anyways, yeah, that, that movie was a was something. I've still not seen it. I mean, I know the story, but I've not seen the movie, so I can't. I can't tell you whether so or not. The I listened quote to. Was correct. I listened to Jordan Belfort's book on Audible. Mm-hmm. Um. So the way of the wolf, right? Is the book? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it, it it's a good book. It's good. It it kind of simple. He employs this like straight line selling method that's supposed to be like okay, teach anyone how to sell. I just kind of feel like it's just that teach anyone how to sell, not teach someone who knows how to sell. It's not very nuanced, is what you're saying? Yeah, it's just not. I mean, you know, it's about what you would expect. Okay, gotcha. about what you would expect if you watch the movie, which you haven't, so you don't know what to expect. Right. But that's okay. Okay, but. Turning the corner here, I'm sure. sure. So now we're going to teach people how to sell. Okay, there you go. Yeah, we're going to teach people how to sell. And specifically starting with this objection, right? So like I said, maybe you've got discount brokerage happening in your market. Here's a primer on basically what we were talking about if you're not familiar. One of the things we see a lot is uh, someone who's licensed, a licensee, who offers to take a listing in the sense that they will put it on the MLS so that other agents can see it. But that's where their responsibilities will stop, right? They're not going to actively market it. They're not going to pay to advertise it. They're not going to conduct the showings. Like the owner of the home will need to be there to conduct the showings, et cetera. All this sounds kind of sucky, but they also don't charge a full commission, right? They charge a flat fee. They're also called you know flat fee agents too, right? So whether it's $500 or $1,000 or whatever it might be where you're from, uh, it's competitive only because 
it's exponentially less expensive than hiring a full-service agent. And if you're convinced that you don't need that suite of services, then it can seem really tempting to hire somebody that offers this, right? Well, I think the market craves something like that, but they craves it. the market craves a service like that because of a gross misunderstanding of what a full-service agent does. Mm-hmm. And it's the same reason that a full-service agent gets infinitely better result than the average. Well, maybe not infinitely. That's exaggerating. But in the interest of being more plain about it, sure. the really experienced top-level agent gets much greater results than even the average agent and substantially more than the discount brokers. So sure. there's a perception of quality issue in our industry. And that's because low barriers to entry allow a lot of practitioners to be in business and not do a very good job. So right. I get that. But my point, Gabe, is when you're comparing the top level of service to next to no service, there's a chasm between that. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of people that hide in the gray area between one and the other. And that's why the consumers believe. And that's why there's an appetite for that. That's another reason is probably because consumers don't come face to face with this home selling process. But what? Maybe three, four times in their life at most. I mean, yeah. maybe. So it's something that they're already not very familiar with. And when someone comes in and confidently says, hey, you don't need to do all that extra stuff. Just put it on the MLS and agent will find it. You know, this this market's hot right now. And I'll just take 500 bucks. Just pay me 500 bucks up front and it'll get sold. They do simplify the process. That's for sure. I mean, basically, they simplify, oversimplify what is needed to sell a home. And they play into that narrative that the hot market sells it. And it may entice a buyer, but there's more to a sale than that. Right. So let's let's talk about it this way. Jay, you're going to list this house. And as you're walking in the door, uh, Agent Joe Blow is walking out the door. And he says, man, I've got this in the bag. He just interviewed and he's a discount broker. And you know that. So you know going in, that's your mission. You're going to have to sway these people if they liked Joe Blow's proposal uh, not to go the discount route, which might be a steep uphill climb, right? So what is your first play going to be? What are you going to lean into when you're trying to convince these people that they do need a full-service agent? Well, the first thing that I'm I'm going to do, I mean, I may not know that. I may have to draw that out. Okay. So, I mean, you're speaking about a scenario that's probably not going to happen. I'm not going to see Joe Blow, the discount <laughs> broker, walking out the door, so I won't immediately know <laughs> what I'm competing against, but I'm going to draw my competition out of the client. Sure. Through the questions and you ask. And it's in their best interest to tell me. Okay. So I don't want to act like I'm sneaky. And of course, if I don't communicate effectively, they probably not going, or they may have some resistance to share that information for me, but then it becomes my job one to explain to them why they need to share who I'm competing with because they need an apples to apples comparison. So, yeah. So let me ask you that. So as part of your presentation, uh, across the board, you ask them who they've interviewed besides you? Like, who else well, have, are I'm, you considering? I, I may make the assumption that they are competing, that I am competing, and I may make the assumption that I'm not competing. If I'm not, I'm going to confirm that assumption. Okay. Okay, and you know what they say about assumptions. Sure. Okay, so I'm not going to I'm not going to go very far without at least confirming what I expect. Okay, so I'm going to confirm whether I am or I'm not competing. And that's as simple as asking. And I think we make too much of this. Um, agents don't want to ask. They have this reservation to ask. They're going to pry. They're going to, yeah. you know, it's some sort of private information, some sort of attorney-client privilege They make it thing. seem adversarial, too. It's not. All you have to do is say, so are you interviewing other brokers? That simple. Have you taken any other meetings? Yep. Okay. What, what, um, 
you know, what steps do you have left between now and the time that you decide to actually put the house on the market? That's a good way to do it. You know, I mean, you can be direct. I prefer that. Or you can be indirect. Okay. Okay, but get to the point quickly. I'm trying to find out whether I'm competing or not. And once I confirm I am competing, I will say, okay, who else are you taking meetings with? That's another thing that people think they're prying. Well, Jay, I'd rather not tell you. You know, Gabe, I totally understand that. And, um, you know, I, I know that there is a bit of resistance out there amongst consumers or there is the narrative that real estate agents can't really necessarily be trusted. They make claims they can't substantiate, et cetera, and so forth. Here's what I want to make sure doesn't happen, that I leave this table today and you don't have an apples-to-apples apples comparison with respect to the professionals that you have interviewed to sell your most valuable asset. Yeah. Okay. And you can tell them too, you know, I'm not going to sit here and slander whoever you tell me. It's not like you're going to tell me, yeah, we just interviewed with Joe and I'm going to be like, oh, Joe is terrible. You don't want to use Joe. Like that's not, that's not what I'm here to do. I can say if they show me resistance, I'm not going to go there unless they show me resistance. Okay. I'm going to ask very simply. Oh yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Who else are you, who else are you meeting with? And just make it seem matter of fact, like why wouldn't you tell me? Very matter of fact. Why wouldn't you tell me? And the truth is why wouldn't they? Sure. Okay. I'm not going to speak. And, and this is something that our listeners should very much pay attention to. If you need to set the expectation that you're not going to speak to what someone else does, only what you do. Okay. Okay. And so they should not have any resistance. Okay. I may ask, you know, questions about what they've heard or what expectation you can ask questions in such a way that you don't direct them at the other agent that they've interviewed. Sure. You can ask questions directed at their expectations and their expectations have been shaped by what the other person has said. So, you know, so what do you think it's going to take to get this home sold? What did the other, what, what did the other folks talk to you about marketing? Mm-hmm. What did they talk to you about? What sort of pricing strategy do they present to you? This Which, is also a useful uh, line of conversation when you are picking up an expired listing. What did your previous agent tell you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. We talked about pricing strategies. We talked about some of these tactics in our last conversation. I'm not going right. to go into the whole thing. The point is I need to know who, okay? I need to know if I'm competing, and if so, I need to know against who. Yeah. So let's say I find out in your scenario that it's a discount broker. Sure. Okay. So what I'm going to try to do at that point is focus in on the value that we create. Okay. And it's very simple. The other broker, by definition, being a discount, limited service, flat fee broker, has limited the services that they will provide provide by definition. Sure. So I'm not going to go into details. There is value in what they provide. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they've acknowledged up front that it is worth less. Right. Okay. So I'm not going to go into trying to accentuate that. That is a given. Yep. I will waste valuable time and I will waste rapport trying to make the lesser value seem even less. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work. So I will prop our, ourselves up. I'll prop our value up. And just let it shine in comparison. And I'm going to let it shine by comparison. But then I'm going to reduce it down to numbers, very simple numbers. Okay, so there are a couple of numbers that I recommend every agent know about their own practice, their okay. own business, before they go in any listing appointment. Your okay? stats. Whether you're comparing or whether you're competing, whether you're not competing, whether it's a sphere of influence person, whether it, they can be used to build social proof and rapport, which are two things that are absolutely necessary to not only get the listing, but to get the listing the way you want it. Okay. Okay. I.e. the right price, the right terms, the right commission, the right expectations. Yeah. So there are numbers that you need to know. You need to know your average days on market. Yep. 
okay, for all of your listings sold. Sure. You need to know your list to sale price ratio, okay, for all listings sold. And you need to know the same two pieces of information about the average in your market. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So that you can draw a comparison. Now, I hope that yours is better than the average. Yeah, that's almost a prerequisite. This to is go a this requisite way. that you be above average even slightly. But yeah. it doesn't matter if you're 1% above average or one week faster than the competition. The math sorts we, itself out pretty quick. We happen to be 4% and about 25% faster. Okay. Okay. So basically, you know, in a very simple example, let's use a $200,000 sales price gate. So in a $200,000 price bracket, and I speak very plainly because I don't want to suppose, and this is another way, this is kind of like Jedi level, you'll get there when you have practice. Um, I always try to draw the price expectation out of the client before I present my price. Early, yeah. Early. So this is a way that you can draw the price expectation out to someone. So you obviously know what $100,000 price bracket this house is in. You know if it's between two and 300. You know if it's between four and 500. You know if it's between... You know, eight and nine hundred, even. Yeah. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll pick the um, lower of the hundred thousand dollar price bracket. If they think it's worth three fifty, I'm going to say three, and I'm going to watch their face. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to do this for very simple calculation of uh, disparity between us and the discount broker. Okay. So for example. You know, after everything I've told you, no doubt you can see the difference in service and value provided between us and the discounted service. And I'm going to call them a discount broker. They may call themselves limited service. Limited service. They may call themselves flat fee. I'm going to say discounter. Yep. Okay. I'm going to say discount broker and discounter. Um, And when I say that, I say, obviously, you see the value difference in what we provide versus what the discounter provides. And there's NLP happening here, too. If you're listening or not watching the live, there's a lot of. Uh, hand away to the other, shaking the head no. There's while a lot you of no discount. shakes, and there's a lot of pushing away. Creating distance is an NLP technique that um, that breaks rapport. Yeah. So you know, you use hand gestures, drawing the person into you. Yeah. If you want to build rapport, and if you're looking to to distance yourselves, you push away. Pushing away. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people will point to the door of the house. Hmm, okay. Okay. Because that's like kick them out the door kind of thing. No joke. And, uh, Jedi mind tricks. Jedi mind tricks. Okay, so I'm going to say for for value comparison, obviously you know the difference between us and the discounter. Yeah. Okay, but let me break it down into numbers, numeric values for you. So if we are 4% better than the average realtor, would you assume that a discounter is equal to or less than the average? Not in your head, yes, as you propose. Okay, this. so obviously worse yeah. than the average, right? It's either they, average they, at best they've or already worse. They've already admitted they're limited. Yeah. They're discount. Okay. So less than that. Okay. So, but let's compare my service to the average realtor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're in the $300,000 price bracket and we're 4% difference, that's a $12,000 swing. Okay. So that means hiring me, okay, versus the average broker is going to yield you $12,000 difference. Right. Okay. Now, the difference in commission between me at 6%, assuming that's what I'm quoting. Sure. 6% offering three to the cooperating broker, just as the discounter is. Okay. But taking 3% for my services, 
versus the 1% that you're going to pay or one and a half or whatever it is. Whatever it ends up being. Let's call it one for now. The one that you're going to pay to the discount broker. Yeah. That leaves them 300. That leaves them three. 3,000 as 1% of 300, mm-hmm. whereas we would be compensated 9,000 yep. for a $300,000 property. That's an $8,000 difference, but I've just told you that I save you 12 versus the average broker. Right. So take the eight off my 12, and I'm still $4,000 net benefit to you, plus... On the discount broker's best day. On the discount broker's best day, probably still more than that that we can't even quantify. And let me ask you this. Who do you think curates a better, more desirable process? A top-tier agent whose every piece of future business is, is contingent upon that level of service and the referrals that it brings, or a discount broker who's solely competing on price? You're going to get a better process you're going to get better representation. And guess what? We haven't even talked negotiation yet. Yeah. Okay? Because I can even farther further exceed that monetary difference of 4 grand by my negotiating ability. Yeah. And it's going to be easier and it's going to make you more money. I like this approach because numbers are irrefutable, right? When you put numbers in front of somebody especially and especially this is going to happen a lot. The person that's attracted to a discount broker is probably a numbers person. They see the numbers the discount yeah. brokers provide and say, "Oh, I'm saving money up front." Perfect. But they don't realize the money they're losing when you have someone that outperforms the market in general. It's linear to them. Yeah. And and, and it's linear based on assumptions and expectations and past experiences. Guess what? They've never met me before. Yeah. And I will flat tell them. If they're the right personality type, if they're a D, they're a driver, Mm -hmm. I'll say, you know what, Gabe? I totally understand why you're thinking the way that you're thinking. It's based on it's based on your perception of what a professional in this industry is or the lack thereof mm-hmm. based on your prior experience, based on multiple reinforcements from friends. But guess what? The only reason you feel that way is you never met me. Ooh, I like that line a lot too. I mean, it's, it may be, it may sound cocky, so it's gotta be the right personality. You gotta I be mean, able I can to... soften that. I can, I can say Mr. Mr. S personality. I can say, you know what, Gabe, I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, you know, had I been through what you've been through in the past where, you know, your experience led you to believe that we're pretty much overpaid, we underperform, we overpromise, we underdeliver, I could totally understand where you're coming from. You know, the difference between me and those people is why I'm sitting here right now. Yep. Okay. So I can understand why you would consider a discount broker, but what I really want you to understand is that you want me on your team. Mm. And then okay. even go S, ahead. Go S, ahead. S is a team person, by the way, they okay. want, they want a team. That's good. I like that too. All right, go and ahead. like, so D and C are kind of in the same camp here, right? The numbers okay. people taking it another step deeper into interpersonality. Say you're, for some reason you've come across an I who is intrigued by, um, this discount broker thing. And I meaning someone that's more about the emotional appeal of the selling process. They yeah. want someone to hold their hand and guide them through it. If you find that person, that's the easiest one because, like you said, there are there's probably more than ten different value propositions that you can bring up that clearly will blow this out of the water. You say, you know, maybe they're charging you less right now, but who's going to help you negotiate when an expert agent with a buyer is negotiating against you? It's like, would you would you defend yourself in court if you were being sued? Like, you don't want anyone to represent you during this negotiation that only happens once that you only get one crack at. Yeah, you know, there's and that's just one. I mean, there's so Absolutely. many of those. It's infinite. It's it's almost infinite. I say infinite too much. It it is. There are there are dozens, yeah. literally dozens, of value props that you can that you can insert into these situations based on 
what you read from the client. Now, again, this may sound like we've talked about on previous episodes like Jedi mind tricks, but listen, the best of salespeople sell, okay, without anyone ever feeling like they've been sold. Yeah. And the point is, is this is a warm bath, Gabe. All I'm asking you to do is sit in it and not with me in the room. That's weird. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, I'm drawing that warm bath. That's what all this is, is I'm helping you get out of your own way yep. and achieve your goals. Because otherwise, you don't know any better and the and you're operating out of assumption and fear. Yeah. And that's it. That's literally it. Like, th- guess what? The discount broker can never betray you. They can never betray you because they do exactly what they say they're going to do, which is not much. Yeah. Like, that's easy. Like, it's easy to do not much and follow, and actually follow through. There, and I'm perfectly, I'm perfectly happy recognizing that our industry is full of posers. There's a ton of them. I just don't happen to be one of them. There you go. And, and all you need to do is work with me once to figure it out. Yep. So here's the perfect segue to the next question I want to ask you. It sounds like to sum this up, to put a bow on it, basically, if you're going into this type of uh, presentation where you know that's what you're up against, the key thing to know is the value that you bring compared to someone who is selling their presentation based on the fact that you don't need an agent. Like, that's their message. Pretty you much. don't need an agent because the market is, is hot. Like, the market's you driving. You don't need the agent. You need the MLS. Yeah, you need the MLS because, like, the last one that I listed, it sold in five days on the MLS. Maybe it sold in five days, but for how much less than yeah, what you could have got? They'll never know. How that. much money did you leave on that And table? I can illustrate that for you. Exactly. Okay. So, speaking of this idea that the agent is not a necessary piece of the equation... Let's talk about how this is very similar to for sale by owner negotiations. When you're trying to pick up a for sale by owner listing, uh, we probably don't have to spend a ton of time on it because it's actually remarkably similar, right? Only the discount broker is not a discount broker. It's the person themselves. Instead of putting their trust in a discount broker, they're putting their trust in themselves and Zillow probably or whatever website they decide to put their for sale by owner listing on. Uh, They're like, well, our neighbor did it and we did it six years ago when we moved here from Connecticut or whatever, and so we can do it here. How is it any different? I'm going to throw it on Zillow, and I'm going to get it sold myself. And sure. then I don't have to pay anybody. You know what, Gabe? I totally understand that. But you know, I think you're making some assumptions, some assumptions based on your past experiences. There's that line again. Yeah. Okay? So I, I'm, I'm mirroring. Okay? I'm understanding. I'm empathizing. I'm trying to draw rapport and connection yeah. here. So I totally understand where you're coming from. From your past experience, that makes total sense. You know, the, the how, do you mind if I ask how long ago did you sell your house in Connecticut? Oh, uh, that was six years ago. Six years ago. Fantastic. So this is 2019. That was 2013. Yeah. So not like the Stone Ages or anything, but would you agree that the world of internet marketing has changed substantially in six years? Yeah. Okay. And, and would you agree that the buyer today um, in 2019 looks a little different than the buyer did in 2013. I mean, yeah, but the market is hot right now. I don't think we're, I'm you know too concerned you, about buyer sentiment. No, you're, you're totally right. And I'm not going to buyer sentiment. I'm going to buyer profile. So give me, give me just a little latitude and I'll explain what I mean. Sure. Okay. So in 2013, let me ask you this. Um, what do you think the uh, typical buyer for your home is? For my home? Yeah, age-wise. Just take a guess. Oh, I mean, in this neighborhood, it's probably a young couple in their, you know, mid-20s? Mid-20s, fantastic. So a mid, mid-20s mid couple that bought the, bought a home in 2013 would have put them, you know, born around 1980-ish. Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. kind of that, that kind of thing. So would you say that there's a, a, a fairly substantial difference between a buyer that was born in 1980 and a buyer that was born in 1987? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Okay, so you got like the now. cusp, the cusp of a millennial versus, or or maybe even a Gen X buyer versus uh, a younger Gen X buyer versus a solidly in the millennial class. 
Okay, yeah. Okay, different expectations, right? Yeah. And that, that's because they were raised in an era that's dominated by internet technology and marketing, et cetera. Like selling to those people is very different. So the point I'm trying to make to you is today's buyer, the millennial buyer, okay, the, the buyer that would buy your home, okay, is someone that would have a hard time buying direct from a consumer. They're intimidated by the process, okay, and they need representation. So already what you've done is you've made yourself a non-viable option to the vast number of consumers that at least want buyer representation. So I will plead with you, even if you don't hire me to list your property, cooperate with buyer's brokers at 3% because otherwise you're going to have no buyers. Wow. Interesting. Do you have a stat for that too, by the way? I I really don't. I'm sure you can find one. Maybe Zillow has a stat. I don't know. I'll have to dig it out. But my point is, and and I I think I've read one somewhere, but I'd be lying if I pulled one out of my head. But it's pretty substantial. But it would be, it's, the sentiment is there. Like people don't want to buy from, the process, the involvement, the involvement of agents solidifies and formalizes the process. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So from a buyer standpoint, if the property is not listed, that's one strike. Mm-hmm. Okay. If the now proper, they're not going to pay my agent. won't even pay my agent to look out for me, and I don't know, I perceive them to be more savvy because they're trying to sell without an agent, I, I'm out. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm not even going to take that. I don't care if I get an inspection. There's I don't care plenty if I get of houses attorney, listed that I can choose There's plenty of houses. I'll just keep looking and find the next one. Okay. Because the wor- the thing they're worried about the most is making a mistake. Yep. Okay. So I'll just forego that. So, so already now we're at 3%. Okay. okay. That otherwise you can not pay three percent, but you're going to really, really, really limit your buyer pool. Okay. So, um, you know, furthermore, I would make the argument that a property being listed by an agent is further solidifies the process, and I, I make the point that yep. it formalizes the process. You're removing another home. strike. Yeah. Removing another strike. Okay. So, but you know, truth be told, it's not rocket science. Okay, to put a house up for sale. You know, then what you basically have to understand is there are a couple more things. If you're if you if you're convinced that marketing is not what you need, that Zillow will take care of the marketing, which I totally understand, it won't. But I, and I can share with you why. But I can understand where you would come from. Okay, you might even find one buyer from a limited amount of buyers that would actually find your property. But but we have to understand that a if that doesn't work, there's effort, okay. expertise. And a lot of things, other things required to get the traffic. But let's assume that you have the traffic. Are you prepared to show the property? Are, are you prepared to be present for all showings at a whim? Are you prepared to uh, finalize and formalize the paperwork? Make certain that you don't agree to terms in the contract that you're not prepared to perform on. When's the last time you looked at a sales contract? When's the last time you negotiated with anybody over anything this serious? I mean, there's so so you basically take the conversation from from. A, a misrepresentation of facts and, and, and ill-advised like assumptions to work. Yeah. Okay. And you show the consumer that even if you can get past this, or even if you acquiesce to this simple fact, that other 3% costs you a lot of work. Yeah. There's an interesting uh, one that I heard and I forget where we heard it. I think actually I was talking to somebody at sales edge last time we were at sales edge and they had brought this up, but they talked about, you know, they had they had the stat on hand for how long it was taking average for sale by owners in their market to sell. Yeah. And they're like, do you think right now, uh, if you had to, you could pick up a second full-time job for three months? And like, no. I'm like, no, I couldn't. I don't have the time. I'm working you know, 45. I'm working 50 hours a week right now. You couldn't pick up another full-time job? Well, this is my full-time job. And if you think you can do it, like if you think you're going to do full-time this as full-time for the next three months to sell your house. Okay. That, that's like a gotcha. 
I, I, I mean, it's cool. It's fun. I don't know it's that I would use to it talk either, about. I might. I might. It's an interesting way to frame it. If you were like super in rapport with, I the might. Or, or or if you were being, sparring and they wanted to spar, kind that, of for the sport of it. There's there's those people out there. That's what I'd use it on. Yeah, but I mean, truth be told, man, I think the stat is eighty four percent. You can take it back to numbers. Eighty four percent is the net on on uh, on. Uh, Asking price to or list price to sell price ratio. Oh, for, ouch. Uh, yeah, that's NAR stat. 84%, okay. so 16% less. I can take it back to, you know, my 98% of list price, Yeah. you know, versus your 84%. Yikes, that's okay. 14%. Yeah, so of, of which it only costs you six to get my service, plus you get to get rid of all that work. So you save 8%, in your case, $24,000 on a $300,000 sale. Yeah. And I'll do all the work for you. Yep, no kidding. So why wouldn't you? And save you from all the potential mistakes the, that you the, might the, make. The problem, the problem with that is, it's hard to substantiate that stat. Even if you quote the National Association of Realtors, I think the consumer views that as self-serving, mm-hmm. and it's such a b- disparity that they don't believe it. And yeah, that's, that's what they're that seems used to. Stark. Well, they're used to hearing things from realtors they don't believe. Okay, so you know, you're, and you're kind of pushing yourself farther away when you do this. BS meter is so high. Yeah. You know, I, I would even quote the same stat. I would say something to the effect of, and I'd leave it open-ended. I'd be like, you know, I outperform the average realtor by 4%, okay? Work from do, there. Do you think that you could provide a service equivalent to the average realtor? Oh, yes? Okay, fantastic. Well, I'll still, be, I'm still, I'll still, gonna beat, I'll still yeah. beat you by 4%. That's, I think plus that's more you, powerful. Plus, you don't have to do all the work. Absolutely. I th- and so I think that's even more influential than the 14% stat. So I don't have to, so I don't cost 6 I cost 2 There you go. That, I mean, that's literally what what it says. And that's and, great. And actually I, I don't even cost two. I save you one because you're going to have to pay a buyer's agent anyway. There you go. Yeah. And, and you're going to save all that time and that effort and that stress all the time and that potential liability, which there's and tons of, if you need to show them that. Well, and you kind of touched it already, but that was the big one I wanted to talk about is this, the objection from Fizbo's of past success, right? You touched on it early on. What if someone sold their house for every penny of what they asked for it six years ago in Connecticut? They, and they that's under, why they're emboldened, right? They underpriced it. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to say it. Well, you probably sold it for a hundred percent of what you asked because you could have asked for more. I think it's if and well, we sold it in five days for full price. Oh wow, then you definitely wow. underpriced it. <laughs> wow. So so the thing that I the thing that I would have you understand, and, and I apologize, this is revision revisionist history and you probably don't want to go back there, but here's the thing. Here's what we know. I think you would agree with me that a that any sort of property represented by the best salespeople out there will achieve a better result than someone with no experience, no marketing. Yeah. Okay. So, so I have, I have, um, a very well-funded marketing budget. I have a proven system, as you can see from my reviews and my past sales, I'm good at this. Okay. I know I'm good at this. I still may not be for you and I totally understand this, but I think you would agree with me. This is great. Get them to agree that you're amazing. Yep. By conceding that they Have may not, their that head. they may not hire you, you may not hire me, but I think you know I'm good at what I do, and so I can almost guarantee you that I can outperform you. And now they don't, don't have think... to tie acknowledging your success to hiring you. Maybe exactly. they don't want to say you're great because they think that means they have to hire you, which gives them the comfort and the allowance internally to go ahead and hire you. There you go. It's ridiculous how this works. But you can say something like, look, I may not be for you. You may not hire a realtor, but I think you know I'm good at what I do. And I think you can see that from my past results. And now all of a sudden they're agreeing with you. Okay. So you can tell from my past results, right? So what I I would have you think about, okay, even though you think you had success, what you will never, ever know is if you underpriced that property. And that's the reason why you sold it quick. Now, Mm. listen, I sell in 30 days for more than anyone else out there. 
Okay, that these are my averages. And then you know that I outperform every other agents. And you just said, you know that I do a good job at what I do. So what makes you think? I mean, did lightning strike? What's more likely that lightning struck or that you just underpriced the property and you could have got four to six percent more if you'd have hired somebody like me and not done any work for it. And if you did get super lucky, what's more likely that lightning will strike twice again? <laughs> Look at that upswing. Twice? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So I want to I want to flip the script real quick before we run out of time uh, and talk just real quickly to our buyers agents who listen that maybe they've been fast forwarding through all the seller stuff, right? I wouldn't suggest that. I would well, definitely if you're a listen. buyer's agent, you need to be thinking about how to how to handle listing objections because you should be listing. There you go. Well, kudos if you made it this far. But I do want to talk about something buyer-centric, right? Uh, and it kind of has to do with the Visbo world, too. Um, something that I've heard recently a lot, and we've talked a lot about um, in our market, it's referred to as the buyer brokerage agreement, right? In your market, it might have a slightly different name. But essentially, it's the contract that a buyer signs that says you are their agent and they are your buyer. Um, it's fuzzy. Some people like it. Some people don't. In my experience and in the experience of a lot of the agents I've worked with, it's kind of been an unspoken thing more than a signed document thing. Um, and that's a little bit risky, right? You're taking on a lot of risk when you're not requiring your buyer to work with you. But the flip side of that is even if you have them sign this document, this is not a legally binding document. Oh, it is. Oh, it is a legally binding document. It is, document. but it's not ironclad. So anytime, I mean, Okay, let me ask you this. We know we know business is about relationships and relationships are about rapport. Yeah. Okay. How does your rapport how is your rapport affected when you force someone to follow a signed agreement? Yeah. Well, this is like the prenuptials of real estate, right? Like that's kind of the yeah. world, the it's it, like tacky it's like, and you like don't want to ask for it. It's like the exact same thing. Yeah. Like you don't want to ask them to not break up with you in advance because it implies what? That out somewhere along the process, they'll want to ditch you for no, somebody else. That's even better. It's like asking your girlfriend or boyfriend to never break up with you. Hey, <laughs> on the first you day, know, I'd really, really like to be in a relationship with you, but you're going to have to promise to never break up with me. Red flag. Red, red flag <laughs> Exit, exits quietly. Well, so, and the reason I want to talk about this one is I want to talk about if you're in a market where maybe in your brokerage you are having these signed routinely or you, or you want to figure out how to get that level of commitment from someone without having them sign anything. I want to talk about that. But also, uh, if you're working with a buyer and you're trying to go to this listing where it's someone that doesn't want to pay a buyer's agent, like we just talked about in this for sale by owner example, how do you make sure your buyers stick by your side even when it looks like you know, the house they want and getting you paid are, are separate? right? They think that, oh, to get this house, our agent's not going to buy it for us, so we're just going to have to... We're have to gonna have to cut him, you know, in order to get the house that we want. Or maybe like they, for whatever reason, they think that they might have to split. How do you make sure that your buyers will never leave you? All right. So let me say this. First thing I'll say, I'll be, I'm going to be direct on this. Okay. I don't like the buyer brokerage agreement. I don't like formalizing it. I've always felt kind of icky selling it. Yep. I know how to sell it. I, I think and, I do and, too. And I'll word track it for you here in a minute if you want. But I know how to sell it, but I never felt good selling it. And you have you ever needed to in your experience? I mean, that that's a loaded question. Have you ever needed to? You could always need to or you could never need to. I will tell you I never needed to because of because of uh, some universal truths that I've accepted and some ways of doing business that I've adopted. Okay. Some some mindset things. So basically I've decided that not just in business, but I'd like to be the type of person that allows myself the trust in people probably enough to get hurt at least once. 
Okay. Like if you want to treat me badly, there's a good chance that I'm going to give you that opportunity once. One time. One time. Okay. You can treat me badly once. It doesn't matter what relationship. It could be an agent here in the office. It could be an employee. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. It could be a client. It could be whoever. If you're in my world and... I will afford you a mistake. I will afford you the opportunity to screw me over once. Okay? You're not going to get a second opportunity. Okay? And that's that's just a decision, a personal decision I've made to be that kind of person rather than the person that's so skeptical, okay, that I never afford anyone the opportunity don't let to anyone get close, that close. To, close yeah. to me. Yeah, exactly. I don't vet. I don't do eight interviews before I hire somebody. I don't make people sign by our brokerage agreements. I, I take you for your word, and I give you mine, and I adhere to what I say, and I expect you to do the same. So when I meet a buyer, and let's just explain, to say this is a buyer because we, we're not required to list buyers. That's what they call it in some markets. Okay. Buyer listings, you know, which is like buyer brokerage or exclusive buyer agency agreement sure. or whatever you want to call it. Different terminology. We yeah. don't do that. So that's the opportunity you have to be taken advantage of here. So you show somebody a bunch of houses, you give them everything you got, and then all of a sudden they either see a hot listing that they think if they don't write the deal with the listing agent, had that one, whatever. Happen. Or it, it, they can save on commission if they do that, or they just think you don't have enough access, or they think you're too busy, or whatever. You've given them everything. Yeah. The truth. The truth may be that they're just fickle and finicky, and they can't find anything, and you can't give them all your time. And the second that you're not available, they find the one. Right. Okay. It could happen in any of these instances. Okay. The point is, if that were to have happened, a couple of things that you can assume as for that you're culpable for one, you either haven't shown them enough value in a variety of ways that they wouldn't, that they would choose to do real estate without you. Cause you can assume that if you make yourself so integral to the process that they're scared to do it without you, then you're not going to lose that client. Sure. Okay. There's fear associated. There's a loss associated with not working with and you. And let's be clear. It's not It's not by telling them that you can't do this without me. It's by showing them everything that you can do them. with me, like the value yeah, like, that I bring. Like like when they're willing to like jump through hoops to allow you to represent them. Like, yeah. It's not, it's not highlighting that you're hopeless without me. It's, no, absolutely not. It's, here's everything that I bring that you would be it's, losing it's if even, you went without it's me. It's not even saying it, Gabe. It's unsaid most times. Sure. Okay, now you can say it, and I think saying it is a big part of this, but most of my, I don't say it. Like, people read it in the confidence in my voice. They see it in my eyes. They feel it in my presence. Like, I am there to, sh- to like, make sure you don't screw up. Okay, so that that's one thing. There's a couple other things, too. You didn't take the time or couldn't effectively set prop- set the expectations that should have been set. Like, Gabe... Your criteria, it's your criteria. It's not my job to set it. Your criteria is really restrictive. Okay? Your circumstances are going to make this a challenge. Hmm. That challenge could lead to time. That challenge could lead to frustration on your part. That challenge could lead to you paying more money than you really want to pay because you have set this as important above all else. Now, if you want to sacrifice some of this, then we can rectify some of this. Open the doors to some of this. Exactly. What's, what's no. so funny about this is the irony of why most agents won't have that conversation. It's because what? They're afraid of 
alienating their client. They're afraid their client might dump them if they if you tell them. And so you get dumped for not and you not get having dumped because you didn't have the hard conversation. That's it, and it goes back to having difficult conversations. That is a huge part of this. So it's setting expectations, okay, or creating value, or making yourself just completely like integral to the process to the point where they can't. They're paralyzed. They can't move forward. Gabe, you know this. You've heard me say it. There are literally people that are, oh, we'll just wait till next year, Jay, because you know that one got away and it was the one, yeah. And, and, but you know what? We we couldn't pull the trigger if you didn't come see it with us. And I don't make a habit of putting my people off, but like, yeah, you know, if I'm on vacation with my kids, I can't exactly. Come I can't. And open I can't. The door I can't you. be in two places now. Yeah. At this point in my career, I have trained and leveled up. Agents, proteges, mentees. Yeah, you have a team to leverage. I have a team to leverage that can help me in those situations. And I've stood on my head for my clients. But, like, literally, no joke. um, I've had people that don't want me to set them searches up on the MLS. They want to do it all themselves and they call me when they find one they want to buy. Wow, dream scenario. (laughs) Is it? I don't know. If it works for them, then great. And, And you know what? A dream scenario could also be showing somebody a hundred houses and really feeling good about finding the one because yeah, that's, that's what, true because that's what they needed. But the point is, is whether it's A or B, they still won't buy without me. Yeah, you are part of the process, I, and it's and that's something that I've taken ownership of. Now there are also people that don't that don't appreciate my value. It's just as e- equal an opportunity, I think that. They were just really hard to get through to. And you tried. And guess what? Working with working together is not for everyone. Yeah. Like I can't get through. doesn't matter what I do or how good I am or how great they might initially think I am. It doesn't matter. Yeah. They put their trust in me and it just doesn't work. So, you know, we don't have success in those cases because I'm not perfect either. Right. Well, I think it's important. Like everything you just highlighted is important because the main takeaway here is whether or not you're in a brokerage where you are you know, getting this signed by default, it's part of your process, you're part of your brokerage's process, or if you're in a market where you've never heard of this, regardless of the situation, the things that you need to do that would make someone feel comfortable signing this, you need to do whether you're planning to have them sign it or not. You need to be showing the value. You need to be having an, uh, a frank conversation with them about, would you like me to be your agent? Would you like me to represent yeah. you exclusively through this process? Yeah. And whether or not you end that conversation by saying, sign, sign here, this. please, or or you just move on from that fact, those, you're going to have to have them do that anyways. And if you do it effectively, if you show your value effectively, and you make them feel confident that the process is going to get done the way that they want with you there, I don't think you stand a chance of losing so, them. So we teach new agents to formalize the relationship, but not with a signed agreement. Yeah, so formalize it, but right up to the edge of like paper formalizing I mean, it's, it. it's very it's very simple. It's... Gabe, you know, after I've explained to you everything that I do to ensure your success, I do this. I do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, ad nauseum, right? I do all these things to ensure your success. You know, in order for me to be able to do that and to afford the select few clients that I offer that service to, I have to value my time. So all I'm really asking for from you is the same level of commitment that I've offered you. And whether... From there, you say, sign here, or would you like me to be your agent? Mm-hmm. You're still formalizing the process. I believe verbally is better. Okay. You're, but regardless of formalizing, we, we do that with newer agents because we need them to go through that exercise to make sure they convey their value. Yeah. Okay. And they haven't learned how to do this well enough and consistently enough to, to where they can trust their own judgment. Yeah. 
right? They're still emotional about the situation. Like, I know when somebody's not going to buy from me or not use me to list. Like, I know it right up front. And they can play the charade and I'll go along. But I know it and I don't even need, I don't even need to go there. But they're not me yet. Yeah. They'll get there and they'll get to a point where they can trust their gut. But until then, they're going to convey their value form and formalize the relationship. And truthfully, all the same truths are there. And it's about what kind of person you want to be. I want to trust somebody to do what they say they're going to do once. And if they, and if, and if it bites me, then they're going to have to prove themselves to me thereafter. You know, I had a, uh, I had a client call me once I, I helped him buy a house, a really, really, really tough deal. Okay. And this was kind of an entrepreneurial kind of person. And they'd been in multiple businesses and I referred them business in lots of places, you know, their contractor and their corporate world and this and that and the other. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd really repaid the favor with business that I had control of to send that, their direction. Sure. And I found out not long after that, after I'd followed up with them consistently, Gabe, I mean, they were invited to a ton of client events, okay? Never got back to me, and I knew something was weird, right? Okay. And then I looked up one day, and they had sold the house six months earlier with another agent mm. and bought a more expensive home with another agent. Wow. This was like three years from the time that I sold them the first house. And I created a lot of value in helping them get that first one bought at yeah. a discount. So you're thinking, where was the disconnect? Where did I go wrong? But you know what? That person got relocated and called me to list the house, the more expensive house they bought. Now, hmm. did I say no? Like out of spite? Yeah. I of bet course you did not. not. <laughs> of course not. I went and listed the house for them. Did I, did I take everything they said to me at face value that time around? Or did I make them prove it? I made them prove it. Sure. Here's the listing agreement. Sign here or else we're not working together. Yeah. Like, I mean, and I didn't say it like that. No, and I'm probably I'm sure is, you didn't go in bitter either. Like, how I did could not, you? I did not. I didn't even mention it, Gabe. Nope. And I never would. Yeah. My point is, is... They had the opportunity to tell me that they didn't want to use me. They didn't owe me anything, but they had the opportunity to tell me why they didn't use me the time before. They didn't take that opportunity. That's fine. That's okay. That's a there choice. There could have been any number of extenuating circumstances there's, there's there. There's a choice they made, but they called me back the next time, and you know I'm going by the contract this time. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. You know, send a photographer out and pay and do all this pre-marketing and do a bunch of stuff that I probably would have trusted someone who had never done that to me before. Double-crossed you, so to speak. They didn't really double-cross me. But here's the thing. You can look at it through these negative glasses, right? Like you're saying. Or I can choose to be positive. Or think about the fact that you provided them excellent service. You followed up after the transaction with amazing, you know, personal touches. Then they used somebody that wasn't you. And after all of that, who did they decide to list with when it was time to do the big business? They came back to you. That mean, all that means is that you made such an impression the first time and a continuing impression, lasting impression. Why I didn't get the two deals you, in the middle, I have no idea. Nobody but, knows, but, and it doesn't really matter because you, even without trying, overshadowed the agent that they worked with the second time enough to the point where they decided not to go back to them and to come back to you. And I'm not bitter. I'm really not. I'm just illustrating the point that this stuff happens to me too. I don't do it perfect, Yeah. but but it's about choosing what type of person, what type of agent you want to be, what type of business person you want to be. And things got really simple when I did that. I mean, the words, they just come out now. And it's like, if I was worried about every listing and whether I'm going to get it, like you're in your own head and you're not going to, you're not going to go there. Just speak to facts and you, and you'll win. There you go. 
That simple. So there you go. To sum up today, it's always about showing your value and just having the conversation and being direct and, and letting people know what is what's what matters the most here. Don't beat around it. Don't walk around it. Just get straight to this is what you need. This is what I provide. Does this make sense to you? I really can't. I really can't escape this feeling that we talk about value so much and people just don't get it. Yeah. And and it, they, they think it's this like word like culture that's like this cold Kool-Aid concept. Yeah. Where value. you know, oh, just give value, give value. I don't, I, I don't know what it is. I can't really put a finger on it, Gabe. Here's what I know. I know I believe in myself. I know you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that believes in themselves more than I believe in me. And I know it's about inspiring people. Yeah. Okay? And when you have that belief in yourself, when you truly buy into the things that you're saying, it reads. You don't have to say it. I don't say a lot when it comes to this stuff. I just live it. And, you know, I, it somehow makes it easier for me to teach other people how to do it. And so that's part of the reason why we're here having this pod, you know, recording this podcast, because I've said these words, you can probably tell a million times, you know, I mean, I'll get a call in 15 minutes from an agent looking how to looking for a way to overcome this objection that we just did. I did. We, let's be honest. The reason we're talking about buyer brokerage agreements is the fact that I got a call 15 minutes before recording this call right. from an agent trying to understand she didn't feel good about negotiating a buyer brokerage agreement, but she got burned three or four times. Sure. Okay, and you know what I said to her? The same stuff we just said yeah. on here. Make sure they understand how valuable you are, and then you won't have to answer that question. Absolutely. Well, maybe you're one of the agents out there that has questions about a specific objection. If it's one that we didn't cover in part one or part two, there's a halfway decent chance we'll revisit this concept later on in season two. But we do want to hear from you. If you've got questions or you've got a specific objection that you just don't know how to get around or it's been plaguing your business, Drop us, drop us a message or leave a comment on our live stream or our videos on YouTube or just send us an email. You know, you can send an easy. email our way and we'll be happy to answer any questions factored into upcoming episodes. But that is all the time we've got for today. We will be back real soon with another episode of Resource Real Talk About Real Estate. Season 2.